Reading from Bhagavad Gita, chapter 3, 625. Shakta karmani abhidvam yata kuruanti bharata kuryat vidvam satha shaktas chikikshu chikikshu loka sangraham O skiyan of bharata as those who are unwise act out of attachment for the results of their action, so the wise should act without attachment for the sake of, of, of uplifting the world. So in this section, Krishna has been stressing action and that over inaction in the name of Gyan. And he's made an argument from many different angles to stress action. Most recently, he's pointed to examples of others who have perfected themselves by detached action, by Nishkam Karma Yoga, the fruits, or the fruits of their activities dedicated to the Lord, kings like Janaka and others. And then he pointed to his own self as an example of a person who was in full knowledge but acted nonetheless, although he had nothing to gain, nothing to accomplish. He did so, acted, that is, to say, for the sake of teaching others by example. So he's still kind of going in that direction with this verse. And um, he says that as the unwise act out of attachment for the result of their action, the wise should act without attachment for the sake of uplifting the world. We find, of course, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was sannyasi, Sanyas is part of the Gyanmarg. It's, uh, of course, can also be part of the Bhakti Marg, but it takes a little bit of a different turn when we come to Bhakti. Therefore, we have, for example, the Ekadanda Sanyas and the Tridanda Sanyas, distinguishing the, the uh, monists from the theists, lineages like Ramanuja, Madhva, and so forth. These are of sannyasi lineages, and we find that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself took sannyas, and he did so, although it's, as I say, uh, related to the Gyanmarg, it has its place nonetheless in bhakti to an extent, but we find in the case of Mahaprabhu what? That he took sannyas for the sake of setting example for the public that they might relate to him differently than they did otherwise. The story, as it's related in Chaitanya Charitamrita, is that Mahaprabhu was, uh, had returned from East Bengal, where he had been initiated by Ishvara Puri, and he became mad with love of Krishna. And so, although he was a teacher and had many students, when he returned, he could only teach about Krishna. And he was teaching how every, every word in the Sanskrit grammar indicated Krishna and so forth. And so some of the students took exception to his uh, madness and um, had some doubt about him. Indeed, he, in, in ecstasy, he began chanting, gopi, gopi, gopi. And so one of the students said, look, if you want piety, you should chant Krishna, 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 not gopi, 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 whoever heard of this thing. And Mahabhava is said to have taken offense to the offense that the person had committed to Harinam by way of saying that if you want piety, you should chant Krishna Nam because we shouldn't chant Krishna Nam for material piety, but for love of God. And of course, on a higher level, 
on an internal rasic level, Mahaprabhu was chanting Gopi, Gopi, Gopi because he was, uh, had drifted into Gopi Bhav and in the mood of supporting the Gopis in argument with Krishna in the Leela. He was championing the Gopis' cause. And here comes somebody along and starts championing the cause of Krishna. <laughs> and so in the trance of love, at least participating in a love spat between Radha and Krishna, and taking the side of the gopis, he took exception to the fellow who seemed to be taking the side of Krishna, and so he chastised them and beat them, and, and they uh, went home and formed a group and said, how can we allow this to happen? This Nehemiah Pandit's half mad, and, uh, and he's ruining the Brahminical class and so forth by his madness, so we took exception to him. So, so rather than being seen as a ordinary person, if he took sannyas, he would cut a certain profile and um, he would be viewed uh, differently with respect by everyone. So in order to garner the respect of everyone that they might not uh, uh, abuse, the opportunity that he personified brought before them the golden opportunity, if you will, from the golden lord, uh, he took the sannyas, so it was kind of a ploy, if you will. Not that he was not um, qualified and renounced. Indeed, he was absorbed in bhav, and this much uh, transcends the um, Gyanmarg standard of overcoming ignorance. One thing to overcome ignorance, another thing to have bhav and prem for the Lord. So there is a sannyas, and we find in the, the Gaudiya lineage, but it's thought about differently. Paratmanishtam, it said, uh, the idea is the, there was a, a, uh, a Brahman who took sannyas in the Bhagavatam, and he made this statement that, I, that uh, Paratmanishtam, I want uh, to, my, my sannyas is Paratmanishtam, his, his dedication to the Paramatma, not the idea that I've become Narayan, as we find in the Advaita school, by taking sannyas, but that I've, um, my life is dedicated to Narayan. So, a different idea. When Mahaprabhu himself, Sri Chaitanya Dev, took sannyas, it's said that um, the sannyas mantra that he was to receive, Tattva Masi, is a famous aphorism from, this, from the uh, Upanishads that the Advaitins are fond of, and they think of it that you are that, you, that meaning Brahman, and tat tvam asi tvam, you are tat, are Brahman, you are Brahman, you are that. And so when he was going to receive the mantra, he first asked, I think, he asked, or Mari Gupta asked, he, he, he didn't like the mantra, and he asked Marari, and Mari gave another interpretation, or, and he liked that, so he, I believe he gave that to his sannyas guru. He said, is this the mantra you're going to give me, Tattvamasi? He said, yes, and is this the meaning? And Mahaprabhu rendered it differently. You are his, and that's an accurate rendering also. You are his, and that's a Vaishnava conception. For Mahaprabhu, in the mood of Radha, he's saying that I am his. Uh, so the Keshava Bharati's guru is said then to have been initiated in, by Mahaprabhu first into the Vaishnava conception of the mantra, and then he gave the mantra to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, 
At any rate, the sannyas is there, but a different idea than we find in the Gyanmarg, and it's very much about also setting an example, which is stressed here, that you know, people in knowledge have to act anyway. We find Mahaprabhu was a sannyasi, but nonetheless, he, he moved in the world, he preached, he set an example, he observed the Varnashram. Um, he was transcendental to it. This is, as it's said here, one in, in knowledge should observe the system. The idea as much, it means as much as he or she is in the world and uh, participating amongst the people. Another thing, if he goes and lives in the hollow of a tree or something like that as, as an Amadut, and that's an option, but that's not an option that Krishna is giving Arjuna here. This kind of a way of seeing a, a, an emphasis here on what... Uh, uh, Prabhupada would like to think of as the Gosti Anandi over the Bhajan Anandi. Prabhupada used to like to think that it was better to reach out and preach to the public than simply retire and do Bhajan unto oneself. It's said about Sankirtan and its efficacy, the congregational chanting of the holy names, that one of the reasons that it is the supreme form of spiritual practice is that not only does the practitioner himself benefit, but others also benefit by hearing the loud chanting of the holy name. So there is this kind of a current that you can find at times in the Sampradaya where there's an emphasis on outreach and on example. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, as, as, uh, the, the genesis of that, you could say, in one sense, comes from him. Although he did retire at a certain point, for a long time as a sannyasi, he traveled and preached widely. So I could say Prabhupada used to like to emphasize the, the Gosti Anandi over the Bhajan Anandi. Gosti means to have a Gosti, a gathering, to come out and, and talk to the people and share the truth. He used to like to quote Prahlad Maharaj, who, who, who criticized in Bhagavatam or, or made less of the Monavrata, those who are take a vow of silence and so forth and reside unto themselves. But that's one thing, but, but I'm not satisfied until everyone is uh, liberated and so forth. Now this kind of devotee with this kind of disposition obviously will be very dear to us because without such a person, then we wouldn't have the opportunity to take part in bhakti. At the same time, we can say it's somewhat relative because whoever pure is pure, however they conduct themselves. That's between them and Krishna. But nonetheless, the outreach does have that extra side to it. And Krishna emphasizes it strongly here in the Gita. He says, even if a person is in knowledge, they should act for the benefit of others. Even if they're... It could be said here that this... Baladevidya would look at this verse here as a reference to the Parinishtan Bhakta. The Parinishta devotee is one who is householder in the world has to observe various um, rites and rituals of the human society as they are enjoined in the sacred text. And so he or she does so with detachment to set an example for others, offers the fruits to Krishna, and it's all, that is all secondary for that devotee. Primary occupation of the devotee is hearing and chanting, as opposed to a or a nirapeksha, renounced person who doesn't have any duty to perform. But even the renounced person has some duties to perform as much as he or she is in kind of moving in the public, has some obligation, Krishna seems to be saying here, to set an example. In bhakti, 
we may wonder how someone in bhakti can do karma, the activities of the karma marg, when Rupa Goswami has defined Shuddha Bhakti as Bhakti uncovered or inhibited by, by gyan or karma. And of course, uh, the answer is that he or she, the devotee, can perform all the types of karmic activities like observing, in the classical sense, the, what, the shraddha ceremony for the deceased relatives like Mahaprabhu went and performed the shraddha ceremony for his uh, deceased father, which is a karma kanda activity and so forth, but not with the idea that if I don't do this, there will be a problem. Something will be lacking. This is what we call shraddha. Sarva dharman pratyaja mamikam shraddham braja. He says, Sarva dharman pratyaja mamikam. Just take shelter of me. Forgo any other dharma. It means we don't think that without worshiping the demigods, without performing this particular ritual and, and so forth, and enjoying in the, in the Vedic scripture for human beings, that we'll be culpable in some way. There'll be some loss because we have faith just by doing bhakti. That'll be sufficient. But with that faith, just by doing bhakti, nonetheless, we may have to interact with our relatives, for example, and perform the shraddha ceremony. You know, they don't have one in a modern society, but nonetheless, you might have to go to the funeral. Or um, my, my, my brother uh, wrote me just the other day, my, my older brother and my sister are in town, and my mother had five um, fainting spells just in the last week. The doctors have given her only a few months to live, so you know, they want me to come down and visit, so I will go. I don't think that if I don't go, there will be some problem for my bhakti. <laughs> Uh, and so forth. So we, in some way or other, we might interact with, with the world and, and, and uh, observe, observe different um, uh, traditions that, that are expected and so forth, but not in such a way that uh, they cover our bhakti. Not that we think if we don't perform the Shraddha ceremony, uh-oh, I'll be a bad son. This, the putra, the son is called a putra, deliver, delivers the father by performing the shraddha. Uh, no. You deliver your father, your mother, your grandfather, grandmother, and on the back of so many generations said by becoming a devotee. This is, this is a way, these kind of statements are statements that are meant to help us understand and, and, and develop faith in bhakti. This is a perfect example. If I don't perform the shraddha, I'll be a bad son. My father will have to you know, suffer in purgatory. Uh-oh, I better put down bhakti and I better do this. But the scriptures say, if you do bhakti, you'll deliver your generation, your family for 21 generations. So it's a way of helping us to have, if we should, faith in the efficacy of bhakti over karma. Nonetheless, incidentally, when occasion arises, we may observe, we find Mahaprabhu observe various aspects of the Varnashram Dharma, he set a very good example and so forth. So he was a nirapeksha, you know, a renunciate. But the Parinishta devotee, who's typically a householder, should also, more, more characteristically, will have those type of duties to perform, and will do so taking care of the kids, raising them, do, you know, and, and just in a general sense, the non-Vedic activities, just the human activities, 
with some sense of detachment. I'm in a situation, I've got this duty, I'll do it with caringly, lovingly, affectionately, dutifully, and so forth. But as I said the other day, I've got something else that I'm, that's making me tick, that my, that's, my life is moving around. That's what I'm about. And I'm not that those things get in the way of that. Uh, and, and, and in a way, I'll kind of, by the force of my own preoccupation with that, I'll bring others in that direction. Is the, most, is the likelihood. So there's some place then, the point being here for the wise person, the person in knowledge, to act nonetheless, even though we say knowledge and action don't go well together. Why? Because action means act movement in relation in the world to things that don't endure. One who has knowledge knows that's a folly to pursue enduring life in relation to things that don't endure, so he moves back from action. But here is a, and a kind of action. Krishna will give the example later on, perhaps in the fifth chapter, when he's stressing the same point, to be like a, like a lotus in the water, that's in the water but's not wet. It comes up out of the mud, but it doesn't get dirty. So the world is wet and muddy and and so forth, but he lies on top. So detached action. And here, with the emphasis, for the sake of others, to set an example for others. There's some power in that, he says. Then the next verse, he says, Nabudhi bedam janayed agyanam karma sanginam joshayet sarvakarmani bidban yukta samacharam. The wise should not unsettle the minds of the ignorant who are attached to fruit of work. They should make them delight in all the prescribed duties while acting themselves with discipline. So he says the wise should not disturb the ignorant. People who are attached, they're called karma sanghis. They're attached to the karmic activity. They're attached to the fruits of the results and they're performing the Vedic rites, for example, and injunctions for the sake of getting the fruits. Their mind should not be disturbed by the people in knowledge for example, him coming them come around and say, this is all a folly. You shouldn't do this. You should stop acting. We're thinking, well, wait a minute. Don't we have to preach to these people and help them and so forth? What this verse is speaking about here very strongly is the inferiority of gan. The inferiority of gan in relation to bhakti. If I simply tell people, stop this fruit of activity, be a gani, the whole world will go to hell. Who can be a gani? Can you just be a gani? If I say to you, you know, the whole world is temporary and I preach like this, and my answer to you, what to do is do nothing. Hmm? My, my preaching to you is stop doing all these activities and just sit here. Because the people can't just sit there. That doesn't give them much chew on. Because they're karma sangha, they're attached. So it's an impossibility. And so you disturb their minds and by disturbing their minds, you'll also fall down. That's what will happen to the Gyani who does that. He'll also fall down eventually. So don't disturb the minds of the ignorant from the perspective of Gyan and tell them to give up their, their prescribed duties. No, he's saying that the Gyani must, if he's going to interact with people, he or she must perform the prescribed duties then with detachment to set an example and teach other people to act but with the caveat of detachment from the fruits. This is a, a gentle way you know, to bring them in from Nishkam Karma Yoga. 
to Gyan. So there's still action. It's somewhat user-friendly. This is their predisposition to act in relation to things. They like to do certain things, so do them in the right, with detachment, the fruits to Bhagawan and so forth. But just to tell them to sit, that's um, con- uh, not condoned here by Krishna. But bhakti, as I say, this verse speaks about the superiority, the strength, the power of bhakti. The bhakta should not let someone become, remain attached to fruitive activities. Never. He says, become attached to Krishna. And he gives them all types of sense objects to be in contact with and to be attached to what we were hearing. Page after page after page, verse after verse after verse. That must be the longest commentary in the whole of the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. We were just exhausted trying to read it and then finding that there's 10 more pages to read still. So now the Prabhu is drawing quote after quote after quote after quote. And what is his point there over and over again? That the uh, association with devotees, there is no more powerful thing in all the sacred literatures as a means to advance. So strong statements like from Kapiladev, the same attachment that you have for ordinary things when when reposed in saintly people, that which would otherwise would have been the cause of your bondage will be the cause of your, your freedom. As we've said before many times, in Gyan, we progress how? Renunciation. By renunciation, by detachment, by bhairagya, by, by giving up. And in bhakti, we advance by sangha. Sangha means by, by attachment. Sangha. <laughs> by attachment. Not by giving up. So by good association, by attaching ourselves to the devotees. And to all, Rupa Goswami says what? Don't give up those things that have value in Krishna's service. Don't give up your beads. Don't give up prasad. Don't give up the deity worship, the holy name, as if it's something to give up. It's a means, a tool only to something else. No. We should become attached to these things. And people are attached to things. So this is more user-friendly than Nishkam Karma Yoga, which is pretty damn hard to figure out. (laughs) How do I work dutifully and be attached, detached from the fruits? And give the fruits to to, to Bhagwan. I do it because it's supposed to be done. It's like, here's something to get into. Do it for Krishna. And, and, uh, and, And you don't give the results to Krishna. You give yourself to Krishna. That's bhakti. Bhakti isn't that you give the results to Krishna of an action, you give yourself. And so that's why in the higher stages of devotion, everything is prasadam. Krishna's provided for me. <laughs> I'll accept it. He's given, he's given himself entirely to Krishna. So, oh, Krishna's providing some food. All right, very good. To do his work, something like that. Or with the idea of offering the food. We grow the food, we plant the seed, we till the soil, we, we pull out the weeds. We, the whole thing, the whole life is an, is an offering. A very significant point. Prahlad says, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, he, he gives all the angas of bhakti, avalakshana bhakti, and then he says, Iti pum sarpito Vishnu, bhaktis chena avalakshana, kriyeti bhagavati adha, tanman uttamam. Basically he's saying this. First, do sharanagati, and then here and chant. So this bhakti is really performed on the stage of Sharanagati. With faith and surrender, giving myself to Krishna, then I do all these 
bhakti activities. Not that I keep myself to myself and I give things that I have to Krishna that are mine. I don't belong to me. I belong to Krishna. So this is, this is the difference. And this is, of course, as say, much more powerful. The efficacy of bhakti far outreaches that of jnana. Therefore, this prohibition here does not apply to devotees. In fact, just the opposite applies. Don't, devotees should not let people in, engage in fruitive activities. Devotees should not let anybody end up with this human life end up with anything less than what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to give. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur said that to be unable to tolerate the idea that people would have human birth in Kali Yuga after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance and not take, it, take advantage of it because some other ism is out there. Therefore, he declared totalitarian war, it is said, against all of the theistic conceptions. Because he wanted, it was so nice, because he wanted the people to have the best thing. It sounds very sectarian, but this was his love. He, he understood how great is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's gift, and he wanted his people to have the opportunity that it would not be eclipsed by some other apparently great thing that might be presented as such. So with a great and strong and powerful outreach, he went out to the people. Mm-hmm with uh, Chaitanya Bhakti, and we're, of course, coming in the wake of that, the fruits of that kind of campaign. So this has, this, again, verse serves to underscore the power of Bhakti and the weakness of Jnana. Jnana is only a part, a result of Bhakti. And Jnanayati Ashubhivakyam Jnanam Chaitanya Jnanayati Ashubhivakyam Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janiyati ashubhairagyam jnanam chayarahoitukam. It says, Bhagavatam says, Vasudeva, unto Vasudeva. Who does bhakti unto Vasudeva? It means Krishna. Bhakti to Krishna is such that Janiyati ashubhairagyam jnanam cha. Vairagyam jnanam cha. Detachment and knowledge. Janiyati ashu. Very quickly. Knowledge and detachment come and ornament the devotee. That's a small thing. So it's not a big thing. People are going to the Himalayas to get knowledge and to sit and, uh, and, and austerities and so on and so forth. And the result of all that is a small thing in relation to bhakti. So it's an aspect that comes to... That, which, what's his name? Uh, the great Vibhumangal Thakur said that uh, the, these two, detachment and knowledge, they come like maidservants to the bride of bhakti at the wedding, hoping that she'll throw the corsage to them and they, <laughs> they're, they'll have real meaning. They become beautiful in relation to bhakti. When, when there is bhairagi in relation to bhakti, when there's knowledge of, within relation to bhakti, this becomes very beautiful and very powerful, and this can reach out and help the people, and, um, and, and it's much more user-friendly than Nishkam Karma Yoga. There's no comparison. So much more user-friendly to hear and chant, shop for Krishna, <laughs> cook on the prasad, and so forth. So, these are the verses we discussed tonight. Any question? Yes. Um, when you're saying how um, 
there's a note wanted uh, everyone to accept uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I was thinking there is uh, some people who have the different assessments, like there's the story of Hanuman, how he, I think, wanted to worship Ram, you know, more. So how does that factor in? Because uh, there would be people who might have a legitimate different sentiment worshiping God, but um, he was trying to make everyone worship Mahaprabhu. Who was? Um, I think it was Bhaktisiddhanta. Bhaktisiddhanta. What I just quoted, Bhaktisiddhanta. Yeah. What he wanted to do was he wanted to give everybody the opportunity to take shelter of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu is offering the highest reach of bhakti. That is one side of Mahaprabhu. The other side of Mahaprabhu is that whatever kind of bhakti you might want, you best get it from him. So just like the Hare Krishna mantra, it has a high reach, but it's also universal. It can be thought of for Ram bhakti or uh, this bhakti or that bhakti. So if you, if it, therefore, if you want to attain Baikuntha, or if you want Ram Bhakti, easy way is to go to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we find that Ram, Hanuman himself appeared in Chaitanya Leela as Marari Gupta, class friend of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu preached him about Krishna Bhakti and he would only, he would only chant Ram Nam. Mahaprabhu wrote on his head, Ram said you are Hanuman. <laughs> Didn't try to change him. So Mahaprabhu is Swam Bhagwan, Krishna. So in Krishna, all the avatars are present. So when he comes, and he comes in a mood of a devotee to distribute bhakti, then whatever kind of bhakti you want, that's the place to go. That's where you'll get it most, most readily. And we find in relation to him, people drink from the cup of love of God offered by Mahaprabhu as much as they want. Some stop at Ram Bhakti, some stop at a... And some go to the Braj Bhakti and Gopi Bhav and so forth. Primarily, he came to give the Rag Bhakti of Dasya Sakya Vatsalya and Madhurya and to taste the Madhurya of Radha. Mm, that's a fact. But um, we also we find we, we find that the Bhakti Thakur had made a statement that the world, all the Vaishnav groups, will come to take shelter of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu or something like that. We find it doesn't seem to have happened in one sense, but in another sense, what we find is that the Ramanujas, for example, the Madhvas, they're gaining, they have gained credibility and acknowledgement in the world because of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's preaching, particularly under the auspices of, um, of my Guru Maharaj, who campaigned so widely in our Paribar, Bhakti Vinod Paribar. Nobody would have heard practically of Madhva if it weren't for the Gaudias. And the Ramanuja people also, they, they, they followed in the wake of the campaign of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu bringing bhakti and Vaishnavism to the Western world. So as a result of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's campaign, they've gained credibility in Kali Yuga. There's a funny story of how one devotee joined Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission, maybe it was ISKCON or something like that, and he got frustrated later on, and he left, and so he became a Ramanuja. So he joined the Ramanuja Sampradaya and he was critical of ISKCON and so forth. And so he went to South India to the Sri Rangam, the capital of Sri Vaishnavism, to go and have darshan of uh, Ranganath. And when he came, the, the priest wouldn't let him in. And he said, no, I've been initiated in the Ramanuja Sampradaya. I'm actually a card-carrying member of the Sampradaya. They said, no, you're from the West. You know, We don't let anybody in here. And then the guy was so frustrated, he said, 
what did he say? He said, oh, Hare Krishna. And they said, oh, Hare Krishna, come on in. You can come. I did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come here. Here is the statue of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They have their, Mahaprabhu stayed there for four months during the rainy season. And, and, and we have a shrine. Said, come on. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so don't neglect Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, even if you want to be a Ramanuja. <laughs> That's the story. Even if you want to worship Narayana. Simon Mahaprabhu ki jai. Premanandi. Sir, discussing from the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, entitled Karma Yoga. Krishna has been emphasizing to Arjuna that he should act without attachment to the results or dutifully because it should be done and this in relation to karmic duties prescribed in the Varnashram in this case for Arjuna as a Chatriya and therefore he should fight and at the same time it should be done in the spirit of dutiful and offered to the Godhead in this he is saying is better than knowledge because it's synonymous with knowledge and that knowledge is its fruit and at the same time it, it tends to protect one because we're active by nature and so to keep active even when in knowledge he says it's a good idea and it sets example for others as well he said he himself sets this kind of example others should follow. And we come to tonight's verse. It's verse 29. And 29, maybe 29, 30, go together. Prakriti, guna, oh, well, that's not right. 27. 27 and 8, yeah, sorry. Prakriti, kriyamanani, gunai karmani, sarvasaha, ahankarvi mudatma, hartaha mitimanyate. All actions are performed by the gunas. One who misidentifies with the body in false ego imagines, I am the doer. Tattva vittu mahabhaho gunakarma vibhagayo gunaguneshu vartanta iti bhattva nasadjate. However, O mighty armed one, one who knows the truth concerning the two spheres of action and the gunas and who thus thinks that the gunas interact, only the gunas interact with one another, one another, excuse me, remained, remains unattached. So here Krishna speaks of the ignorant person and then, and how he, what his misunderstanding is and how the person, the tatvavit, the knower of the truth, the person in knowledge in this world understands the situation as to what's what's taking place, what's going on. The, the ignorant person, he says, 
Prakriti Kriyamana Nigunai Karmanisa. Ahankara. Vimudatma. He's a Vimudatma. Foolish person. Very foolish. He thinks I am the doer of activities which are in actuality carried out by the gunas. This may now be the first place in the Gita that the concept of the gunas is introduced, if I recall correctly. An important um, aspect of the philosophy, the metaphysics of the Gita, describing how the material nature has different modes of modus operandus, for threefold, how this, how our psyche is constituted of these gunas, how our physical body, the two aspects of our material conditioning, are constituted of these, a combination of these gunas, the varying combinations determining different actions ordained in the scripture, whereby the idea is of following, ultimately following the actions of detachment and offering to Bhagavan and so forth and coming to Bhakti, that binding of the gunas. Guna also means rope, so it implies that we're bound by them. It, it comes undone. The, the, the hridaya granti, the, the knot in the heart, comes undone. Ankara, it's, it's also thought of as a, as a knot. Hmm. Difficult to untie. So here we have an example of what? Of, of the metaphysical uh, message of the Gita touched on here in the early section, the first six chapters of the Gita, which deals primarily with, we want to say like the yogic psychology and the adhikar, the eligibility, and what the psychology of the person is, has a corresponding path that he can take for progressive spiritual life. Whereas, what, in the final six chapters, there, the knowledge touched on here and there in the Gita is played out in greater detail. So there's a chapter, for example, which I believe is chapter 14, dedicated to the three modes of nature. But they're a big topic in the Gita, actually, in the, in the philosophy of the Gita, huge. Here they're mentioned as that which is actually performing the actions that the soul thinks he himself is the doer of in ignorance. So we can just imagine then how, how, what the bewildering potential of this, uh, these modes of nature are, and especially the lower modes of nature. Uh, sattvic mode, sattvic gun has affords some clarity. The other modes, modes uh, work in the opposite way. And they'll be mentioned again later on in this chapter in a little more detail when when after all this emphasis on action on the part of Krishna for the sake of enlightenment gives rise to the question on the part of Arjuna as to, despite what you said, what is it, you're talking about a certain kind of controlled action that I should do with detachment and so forth, but what is it that forces one to act contrary to that even against one's own will? He says it's kama esha krodesha. Rajaguna Samudbhava. The influence of the, of the lower modes of nature bringing this about, greed, anger, lust, and so forth. This is what it's where it comes. This is the devil. This is the Satan here of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Maya, Maya, Triguna Maya. The ropes, the binding ropes of the modes of material nature. 
Uh, sattva is a kind of a, I think I've described it later on in that 14th chapter, kind of a mind stuff and, uh, and um, the, uh, the tamagun, on, uh, kind of like an inertia and rajaguna, that aspect of nature that things be and they move, so to speak. So it's a big, big topic, the modes of nature, very f- interesting, fascinating, and, uh, and um, to me it, it seems <laughs> something that would be um, very compelling to make a modern presentation of. All things can be, uh, later in the Gita, Krishna will divide foods into the, into the modes of nature, and austerity into the modes of nature, and uh, charity into the modes of nature, and... In other words, charity under the influence of Rajaguna, under the Tamaguna, and what the, how the persons act, and so forth, and so on. Later in Bhagavatam, we have Kapila Dev speaking to his mother about bhakti under the influence of different modes, rather than the Nistraguna, pure, pure, pure bhakti above the modes, and so forth. So it's a very fascinating subject, and uh, the division, the, the way things are divided up. Um, in terms of Raja Tambas and and, uh, and and ignorance, it's very comprehensive. So you can you, know, you can learn to see the world in, in light of these influences. You can drive down the highway and see the you know the 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 billboard for the casino, you know, and you can understand. Here's the, the Raja Go, and you can see the the billboard for you know um, uh, greening the planet or something, you know. It's a, the influence of the sattva guna and so forth, and the, the billboard for uh, you know, getting a getting a faster car and uh, being a cooler, more influential guy, or the guy that wants to get elected, you know, vote for me, you know, it's the rajaguna, material elevation, and ignorance, just of sense indulgence, and and so forth, and the clarity of thought that promotes actual. Spiritual thinking, which is which is hard to find, um, we do kind of look at the environmental thinking in, in that direction. But it has a fair amount of tamaguna in it, also the way people think about it today. Uh, so anyway, it's a big, big topic, and here is it's important to know. Here is the beginning introduction of this concept here, and by way of saying it's very powerful and that people have no. Uh, people who are not the kind of actors that Krishna is encouraging Arjuna to be are basically, they're fools, they're big fools. Vimudatma means like they're big asses, actually. They're big mudhas. A mudha that is in, a, in an animal kingdom is like the ass who works hard you know, for, for something that's um, the carrot at the end of the nose, which is growing for free on the side of the road, something like that, carrying a heavy burden. So um, they're very foolish, and, and, and the burden shows up in this way, and thinking of themselves to be the doer, which is, a, which is a problem. Now, the verse here tends to perhaps appear, anyway, on its face to promote a kind of a deterministic outlook where free will is in question. If everything is being done by the modes, then what? Do I have any say in the matter? So, but that's not what the verse is uh, meaning here. But Baladev Bidibhushan cites this verse in his Bhuvanabhasha, in his section on where he is dealing with 
the question as to whether the jiva is an agent of action, in other words, whether it has any part to play, any choice, any will. And uh, he very clearly makes the case that the jiva has will, free will. And so he explains this verse by way of example and by way of explaining another verse in the Gita. First he says, the idea here is this, that just like a carpenter has his tools or a woodsman has his axe, and we say uh, the axe cut the tree uh, or the carpenter, the tools do the work, but somebody is the agent to hold the tools and to, and to move them and so forth. So he says, similarly, the jiva is an instrument of action, of will, an agent of, of action, but it's the things that he animates that are moving, and that's what you can kind of see, I guess. It's kind of the way he wants to use the example of the carpenter. And then he cites a verse from later on in the Bible, in the 18th chapter, 14th verse, when Krishna speaks about action there and says there are, what, five factors of action. There's the body, there are the senses, there are the endeavors, which implies that the various diverse energies of the body and the pran and so forth, the body, the endeavor, the senses, the soul, and the fifth one, yeah, the uh, antaryami, the super soul, the paramatma. So all five factors. So he says, what this verse is saying is that the soul, the individual self, is not the soul doer, which is the what the mudha vimudha thinks. Mm-hmm. I'm the soul doer. I'm the mover. I'm the agent. This is the you know, and this is being spoken of in the context of Eastern philosophy. Now, to go to the West where the rugged individualism has been, you know, pushed. And, and, and I earned the money myself, you know, and I deserve it. And, you know, the capitalistic, you know, idea of going out and, and with your endeavor alone, you know, only in America, you know, you can be the president, you know. There was a song like that, you know. Uh, you know, we value freedom, and freedom gives you the opportunity to, do your thing and, you know, be all you can be and so forth. How much more of a mudatma <laughs> concept are we promoting, you know, in this, uh, this kind of worldview that, that doesn't see other agents, doesn't, you know, tends not to see the interconnectedness, like we were saying the other day, that, that uh, life really is, is constituted of. So what to speak then of seeing on a subtle level the modes and and, uh, and so forth. So the, the verse is emphasizing here not that the soul doesn't act, but that the soul is a fool and thinks itself to be the whole show. And that is his, his foolishness. So he acts, uh, but as pointed out, the Paramatma is also another agent of action. And if he acts according to the super will, of the Supreme, then the question comes again, does he really have any will of his own? After all, not a blade of grass moves, it's said, without the will of the Lord. So what are we then? Just, you know, automatons that, you know, do the bidding of the Lord without any, any um, say-so in the matter, any, any will? 
Well, if this were true, then we might as well throw out the scriptures, which implore us to act, to voluntarily take up acts that will promote um, you know, piety or ultimately spirituality and to avoid acts that will have, the, uh, have, an, have a negative and uh, sinful repercussions, binding repercussions and so forth. So scripture imploring us in one way directly and another way indirectly, you know, do this and don't do that. What's the purpose of all that if we have no choice in the matter? So obviously, he says, we do. And our relationship as an independent unit of will, which Marsh, for example, like to refer the, the self as, to the supreme will is what? Is that it, he gives an example, something like this. It's, it's, like, the, it's like the tree, and, you know, the seed of the tree, put the seed in the ground, and then there's rain and there's sun. It, it won't grow without the rain and the sun, but it, it, it's, itself, it grows. Um, so there's an overriding agent who sanctions the desires of the jivas. Without his sanction, those acts cannot be performed. So no acts can be performed without his, will, without his sanction. So at the same time, the jiva may want something that Bhagavan doesn't necessarily want for him, but he doesn't interfere. That's, the, that's that beautiful paramatma that we have little interest in. He doesn't interfere. We want a Mahaprabhu who interferes practically and says, you know, don't do that. And, and uh, even if we, well, a Nityananda Prabhu, who, even if we turn away from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, goes after us and gives us bhakti anyway, the Paramatma is neutral. It's okay, that's what you want. Here you go. This is, this is a facility. You can't do it without me. I give my will. So he's overriding, he's the doer, but within that, we are also doers. And so the repercussions for our actions, we're responsible for. He witnesses and says, okay, you want that, you do that, you get this, he's not responsible. What's promoting him, his sanction, is our will. And so we have some, some, some degree of freedom, which, of course, is a very valuable thing. Pujapachita Maharaj gave the example that, uh, of, of Gandhi, who said during the British rule, he said, we, they, we want the, the freedom to rule our own country. And the British said, that's fine, but you're not fit to rule your country. And Gandhi said, well, fit or not fit, we want to, we want to rule it. <laughs> we, we, we want the freedom to, to, make, to make the mistake then. You know? hmm? We want the freedom to do it wrong. So such is the value of freedom. And it is highly valued in, this, in the world today, in the Western world. You know, freedom is the value. But so, so we're after that. This is a more scripturally, if you will, scientific and systematic way of arriving at that ultimate freedom. I mean, and in a, making our will, in a sense, one with Bhagawan's, we, and, and of course, again, the Bhagawan is a person of bias. Paramatma is the form of the God that's unbiased. He sanctions and so forth, bringing bhakti and making the, making the will, if you will, willing ourselves to do bhakti. Then Bhagavan is drawn to that, reciprocates and facilitates that. So for them, won't let us go. 
that's his uh, <laughs> his guidance. So, so freedom, free will is is uh, is um, uh, very much uh, part then of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Small it is as it is, um, a little misuse of it is is um, creates a big big problem potentially, and a little proper use of it to take advantage of sadhu sangha and so forth brings so much good. So here, first of all, in the first of these verses, Krishna has described the Vimudatma, who thinks he's the doer. He's not the other fact. He is a doer, and there are other factors of action as well. The prominent one of which mentioned here, of course, exclusively mentioned here, is the modes of nature. Again, introducing the topic. And, and then in the second verse, he, what he talks about the Tattvavit, the person who's in the world who's not a Vimudatma. So he's also doing things. He's an agent. He, but he knows it's the material modes of nature that are operative. And so he doesn't get proud and think, think of himself as the doer and identify with the modes of nature. He doesn't necessarily have to look very different, but it's a different understanding. The very fact that there's an understander described here indicates, well, again, that there is, a, there is another agent. There isn't, otherwise, who's doing the understanding in there? So in this way, in two verses, Krishna presents how the, how the ignorant person thinks himself the doer and is wrong in that context. He's not the doer. Another person understands that I'm an agent of action, but in relation to the material nature, which I've kind of set in motion, and now it's, 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 it's operating, it's functioning. So with that knowledge, there can be some detached action. I see these are the modes. The mode of ignorance is coming. Okay, well, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to be taken in by that, let's say. You know. It makes me think, oh, everything's bad, and I'm, I'm, I'm never going to become Krishna conscious, and oh, gosh, or whatever. You know. It's bad, and it's never going to get better. Yeah, it's bad, and it's never going to get better. That's tamaguna. That you think, oh, that's where this is coming from. That's a wave of tamaguna. That's just not true. That's like thinking... You know, it hasn't, we haven't seen the sun for four days now. Maybe it's never going to come again. It's never going to come. The sun's never going to come. You know, who will believe you? Like, what are you talking about? You know, of course the sun's going to come again. But too much influence of the Tamagoon in this direction, the more you say, you know, of course it's, it's, it's going to clear up, you know, and then you find more reasons to defend yourself, why it's, why it's not. So that the idea is to identify, oh, this is what's happening to me, and so I'm not going to be taken in and thrown off the boat of bhakti, so to speak, by that. Or, you know, the influence of the other modes um, as well. So it's important to understand them. And the person of knowledge here has been characterized as such. One who understands the modes of nature are operative. And, um, um, and I'm not the doer of these actions. So all the more reason to be detached from the fruits of the action, which has been, continues to be the emphasis here in this chapter. Any question? Yes? I mean, obviously, if you think it's you're the doer, it's all you. You're, you're, this is an attached person. If you understand, it's the modes. You've stepped back. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's the questions about that, too. Uh, you were saying that not the soul is like one of the agents of action, but is the soul like deciding on everything that happens, like every little detail that he or she desires, or is it more like the 
the motivation or the like the condition of the soul's consciousness or heart like makes the situations happen. Like what I'm trying to ask <coughs> is like is the will like directly influencing every decision and action that the soul that, that embodies? Well I think you will and you set things in motion and then you know they go on, you know you may react to them and so forth, but not in every instant of every moment are you just willing, now I shall breathe. And now I shall breathe out. Now I shall open my eyes. Now, a lot of this is kind of going on automatic, but you've set it in motion by your desire, and so you've got a certain body, and it's going to act in a certain way, and so on and so forth. But without you, there is, there is no such movement. Now, in relation to bhakti, you can be choosing it every minute. Mm-hmm. And that's the trick, to choose every minute to do bhakti. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what we want to do, choose every minute to do bhakti. That's, that's how we become successful, by having knowledge. Knowledge means what? In one sense, that, that material desires are ignorance, and they promote suffering. So when I find one in myself... I have to think, this is ignorance, this is the cause of suffering. Oh my God, it's powerful. How can I possibly overcome it? Well, Krishna is way more powerful than this. He can create worlds just by his thinking, you know, just by his will. This is a small thing. So I pray sincerely to him, I will to him that I'm that I wanna I, I want you to help me to overcome this, to, to make me understand the futility of it, and so forth. Then he would be successful. Then there's no question about it. The only problem there is is material desire. That's the only problem. And we have a super solution to the problem. But do you want to solve the problem? Do you understand that, that what the problem is? The material desire is ignorance and the source of your suffering. Dukkha yonayevate, Krishna says. It's, the, it's the, from the, the womb from which issues suffering only. Sense gratification, desire. So, do you understand it? If you understand it theoretically, even though you, you it's, I understand it, but I kind of, I want it. It's still, that thing still feels good, you know? Then you have to, like, the force of your will, you drag yourself before the, the Lord and you pray, you know, to get rid of this. He's powerful. He could do that. It's the only question of desire. The whole thing is resting on, you know, desire. And the ignorance of material desire, and it's just the, you're going to drown in the, the, uh, the, 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 the safe ground of spiritual desire. It's the whole problem. Right? Yeah. And it's not, not difficult to solve. You have a powerful person to solve. I mean, in the Gyan Mark, how are you going to solve the problem? That's a really hard problem to solve. <laughs> and here you got, you know, Nitin on the Ram to bring him on in to solve the problem. And therefore, Arko Benitai Chander Karuna Hoyve, Samsara Vasana, more. Kabetu Chahabi, Samsara Vasana. Samsara means material life, Vasana means desire, the desire that fuels the fire of Samsara. He can put it out. Sumad Bhagavad Gita Vijay Kut Pramanandai